Hi, welcome to another teaching message from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. So today we are on the second week of our Talking to the Talkers. We are talking about what the Bible says about toxic people, about reconciliation and healing. All right. I wonder if you have ever surprised yourself, like um, you found something come out of you that you didn't know was in you. Um, you just responded to what somebody did to you and the, the words you use, the coinage, you know, the expression, you're like, when did I learn that? Um, okay, let me ask you this way. Can you remember the first time that you abused a micro driver? Not the most recent, the first, the first time. Can you remember the first time? And the words you said, probably just how it came out, and maybe you used a coinage, maybe even in a language, you just said something, and you were like, man, when did that even come out on me? Or maybe somebody did you dirty, and you treated the person nasty, like you, you took it out on the person, and you are like, man, so I can even punish somebody like that, all right? And, and you know what that points to, whatever that could be for you, what it probably points to is that maybe at some level, there is some level of toxic in you because, of course, you can't give what you don't have. So if it comes out of you, maybe at some level, there's at least some little bit of, of it because whatever comes out of you is indicative of what is what you have in you. Have you caught yourself before, you know, when you went to use the restroom and, you know, you didn't do a minor, you did a major and you were kind of like inspecting the things there, like seeing ingredients of fried rice, you know, just seeing the different... Okay, 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 no, 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 you don't do that, you don't do that. But you know what I'm talking about anyway, but don't worry. Um, but, but to be honest, we do live in a very toxic world. And if we just go by the default, the truth is that some of it is going to get in on us. Or maybe it has even gotten in on you already this morning. And of course, once the conditions are right, once the atmosphere is right, once there's the right provocation, you're going to let out some of that toxic that you have received from the world around. So whether we're talking about workplaces or schools, institutions, employers, you know, whether it's families, there's abusive relationships in homes, in families, even romantic relationships, um, you know, maybe even just around town generally, there's just a lot of toxic. It feels floating everywhere. And so maybe right from the outset of, of even just hearing that today we're talking about what the Bible says about toxic people. You're already thinking of somebody in your world who you need to, you're like, I hope they address that person's issue today. You know, maybe you're even happy that the person came to church or you're planning to send this message to the person after service and all of that. Well, chances are that somebody else is also thinking about you um, as, as, as we hear the topic. So um, let's just welcome ourselves to life and sound a warning, beware of toxicity, all right? Look at somebody and say, welcome to life. <laughs> now warn them, say, beware of toxicity. So we'll, we'll say that a toxic person is somebody who, whose behavior adds negatively to us, right? Kind of upsets our lives. It feels like they bring poison um, into relationships. And truth be told, Many times people who are toxic are simply victims in their own way of the same systems, toxic systems, toxic world, and then it's like we are then in turn leaking out what we have received. So people start to act manipulatively and selfishly and bitter, you know, we become judgmental, maybe even bullying and all of that. Um, but they bring negativity into just the, the conversation. So it could be a family member, it could even be a spouse, um, it could be a boss, a colleague, whatever, a friend. Um, sometimes it's even just somebody out there. But here's what I want to say today. What, what we're going to st start out this conversation reminding ourselves is that people are people. Um, our best people are people. People are not angels. People are not God. People, people are people. And when I say that, um, people are going to do what people do. You know, people have the tendency to be toxic, all right? Um, so we might not be in control of what people will let out, but we are in control and we are responsible for the state of our soul. 
We might not be in control of what people will put out there, but I am in control of and I'm responsible for the state of my soul. So if my soul is polluted, if my soul is toxic, if my soul, you know, becomes bitter and all of that, I am the gatekeeper of my soul. I'm in control of the state of my soul. So I might not be able to control what people put out, but if I become a negative person, if I become a bitter person and all of that, I am responsible for that. The Bible teaches that at the, on the last day, we're going to give account. We're not going to give excuses. We're going to give account for our lives, all right? And so maybe this morning you think about all the societal junk that is just out there, all the negativity. It's like the news is toxic, the streets are toxic, um, social media, um, sometimes it's even music and it's basically just somebody rapping their own mess in a creative way and putting a tune to it and you call it a song, you know. Or maybe it's a movie and it's just this miserable storyline and all of that, dark, negative creativity and all of that. But the truth is I am going to be held responsible for the state of my soul. I'm a gatekeeper. I'm a gatekeeper over my life. So I want to say to you this morning, me, not them, is responsible for the state of my soul. Help me look at somebody this morning. Let's make it personal. You should know your neighbor by now. Say, me, me. not them, them. is responsible responsible. for the state of my soul. Now say that again. Say, me, Me. not them. them. Now mention the thems. My office, my boss. Mention it. Mention it. Tell your neighbor one or two of the thems. Come on, come on, come on. Ask your neighbor, who is the dem? Is it Rukaya? Rukaya is not responsible for the state of your soul. He's not Ibrahim. He's not. It's you that is responsible for the state of your soul. It's not Kayode. It's not Bosse. I'll just be saying it by word of knowledge. It's not Timilayin. Stop that. You are responsible for the state of so, so here's our big responsibility that the Bible would give us is that in a toxic world, we need to guard ourselves. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all possible vigilance for from it flow the wellsprings of life. Somebody, we need to stay safe because the streets are toxic. Maybe you say, how? I'm glad you asked. How do I stay safe in a toxic world? First thing I'm going to say to you is that we are going to pray. We're going to pray. If we're going to stay safe in a toxic world, how are we going to take responsibility? We are going to pray. Now, I'm not just saying being a prayerful person generally, like pray and all of that. You are specifically going to pray about this. That's what the Bible teaches you. Luke chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus was teaching how to pray. And then he said, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone and all. But he said, and lead us not into temptation, but God, deliver us from evil. We're going to pray and ask God. Hey, please, can we use the side seats, please? We're going to pray and ask God to deliver us from evil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 from verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Paul is saying, guys, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Okay, we're praying all of that. But look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. E.G., mention that name. (laughs) That we may be delivered. We will pray that we'll be delivered from unreasonable for not all have faith. Let let me show you that verse in OJB, original Jewish Bible. And that we may be delivered from Anshei Resha. You know when they call somebody Anshei Resha? Just nod like you know what I'm talking about. Men of wickedness. We will pray 
Can you remember the old song? We gotta pray just to make it today. If you grew up in my generation, you should do so. <laughs> we will pray. We will pray. Secondly, how can we stay safe in a toxic world? We will walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5 from verse 15. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these what? Evil days. That's what it tells you. Like we live in evil days. So we're going to have to be careful how we live. We can't live like fools. Look at that in CSP. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. You can't just do things anyhow. Pay careful attention, not as unwise people, but as wise people. Because the days are evil. You have to be careful. You have to be wise. What you're exposing yourself to. Don't justify trash because it's popular. We have to be wise. Let me show you in the Message Bible. It says, so watch your step. Message Bible, Ephesians 5.15. So watch your step. Use your head. Let me look at somebody next to you. Yeah, that one is for you. It's for you. As I saw it, it's for you. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get because these are desperate times. Use your head. You can't watch everything called a movie. Or just listen to everything called a song. Use your head. Americana wonder. The way you want your body, give me thunder. Girl, I follow you bumper to... Use your head. You can't go for every occasion. It's, it's, it's because it's my friends, but they invited me. Use your head. You can't pick every call. You can't view every status. You can't always just sit down and be drinking news, 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 news. At some point, use your head, though. Walk in wisdom. The streets are toxic, guys. Psalm 101 verse 3. No base thing will I set before my eyes. Twisted behavior I hate. It will not cling to me. Many years ago, I heard Brian Houston teach on this, and he was talking about how people leak their spirits. It's like there's a leakage, and I can't just be a dumpy yard for everything. It's trying to cling to you. I remember when I was on campus, and someone come back in days, on campus, single me, single innocent person, things I don't do. They now come to me for counseling. He's now describing everything he went to do. Please, brother, don't cancel my own life because you want me to counsel you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Use your head, oh. No one to run. Do you understand what I'm saying? No one to just say you are busy, oh. Use your head. You can't expose yourself to everything. Sometimes some people's prayer requests that they're sharing with you is just making you a junkyard. Don't collect people's toxic. He says, I will not allow it to cling to me. It's trying to cling to you. Walk in wisdom. Some people... Might be dealing with the fact this morning as I'm speaking, you feel like, man, I've already gotten toxicity in. But the truth is this. If a boat is sinking and you feel like water is filling up, it's leaking in and water is filling up, you know what you're going to do first? You're going to block where that is coming out even as we try and get out what is already in. So guys, we have to stay safe. We have to walk in wisdom. Sometimes we need to set clear boundaries. Whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, you know, as some people are coming towards you before they say hello, fake that you're picking a phone call. Just say, see you later. And go. It's scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. But actually, I have written to you not to associate. Hmm? Not to. Not to. Associate. Not to associate with any so-called Christian brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy. Some of you are losing your friends today. Or is an idolater. <laughs> Devoted to anything that takes the place of God. He's devoted to it. He said, don't associate with them. 
or is a reviler. Who is that? Someone who insults or slanders or otherwise verbally abuses others. You see what the Bible says? They don't associate with them. Oh. Or is a drunkard or a swindler. You must not so much as eat with such a person. That you are busy eating in an eatery. The person came and put his plate on your table. Go to the next table. He said, don't associate. Let me show you Proverbs 22, verse 24. It says, don't be friends with people who become angry easily. Don't stay around quick, don't stay around quick-tempered people. Let me show you why. You say, ah, ah, verse 25. Because if you do, you may learn to be like them. Then you will have the same problems that they do. It's toxic. It's trying to cling to you, friends. So don't sit down there forming macho and you're just collecting things and it's clinging to you. We're going to walk in wisdom. We're going to set clear boundaries. We're going to protect ourselves. Maybe it's a work environment for you and you feel like, ah, there's nothing I can do. It's the way my workplace is. Listen, that you work in a toxic environment is one thing, but sitting down in the staff canteen every day and discussing the latest things people are doing is another thing. What you went there to do is your work. Do your work. Let your work speak for you and go home. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But you are the one that is the, the, the person they are updating with the latest thing. That, do you know that now? This person in the office has slept with, hey. Okay. Again, I would say to you, how am I going to protect myself? Don't engage unnecessarily. Because they will tell you that toxic people naturally thrive on conflict, like sweeping out dust, drama, and all of that. So let me show you Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool. Two interesting verses in the Bible. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. So if fool is trying to be foolish, don't answer him. Why? Lest you also be like him. Hmm? But the next verse, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Uh, verse 4. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. What we see simply in scripture is that there are two types of fools. First category is the ones to answer. Second category is the ones not to answer. Or there are two types of situations you can be with fools. Situations where in answering the fool, you are becoming like them in their foolishness. Or in not answering them, you are allowing them to be wise in their own eyes. So what you need to pray is for the wisdom to know when you are becoming foolish by answering a fool and when you need to correct fully. Okay. Now, sometimes in particular seasons, again, I'm just talking to you about what the Bible shows us about how we protect ourselves in a toxic world. Sometimes in particular seasons, we must be sensitive to the dangers that surround us. That means that sometimes you are dealing with peculiar tendencies, maybe with a coworker, with a boss, you know, or a place, an environment you stay. There are peculiar tendencies. Let me show you one Samuel 18. You know the story about a guy called David who was working for Saul. So David gets this new job. He goes home to tell his dad, I have a new job. I know, ah, we too with Saul ah, and all of that. But this was David's workplace. In verse 10 of 1 Samuel 18, it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. So Saul's issue, David's boss issue was that he had a distressing spirit. It can be many things. It can be family property. You understand? It can be many things. But he had a distressing spirit, all right? I'm just saying, put in your own context. And he prophesied inside the house. So David's job was playing music with his hands as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hands. Now in verse 11, the Bible says that Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. What we see with David is that this is like the ultimate abusive boss that wants to kill you. You know, many times you're like, hey, my boss wants to kill me. What you mean is that he gave you a lot of work? This one wants to kill you, like actually. Do you understand? This is the ultimate abusive boss that David is dealing with. 
And so you are working with a peculiar condition. Like this guy, the Bible has said it, Baba has a distressing spirit, all right? Sometimes for you, it's living in a particular place and all. But look at the wordings in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14. The Bible says, David behaved himself wisely. David behaved wisely. What did David do? He behaved wisely. You see that particular coinage three times in 1 Samuel 18. David behaved wisely. David behaved wisely. So what did David do? David didn't say, ah, salt through his own arrow. May I take it back and I throw it back. David did not do that. Even when David had the chance to take this guy out, all right, to kill this guy, David didn't touch him. David treated Saul with respect. I'm showing you wisdom. He treated him with respect and with honor, all right? Saul was toxic to him, but he treated him with respect and with honor even until Saul's death. Even after Saul's death. After Saul's death, the guy that ran to David and said, ah, they've killed Saul and thought David would be happy. David said, how can you run and tell David killed him? Do you understand? Like, like, I honor this guy even in his death. But twice, look at verse 11, no? Saul was trying to spare David, like throw the spear at him. But twice, verse 11, David escaped twice. Why? Because David behaved wisely. Let me tell you what David did though. David did not close his eyes to play the harp. I'm just worshiping that. No, he opened his eyes, so that's how he could dodge you. I honor him, but I'm wise, oh. I'm looking out, oh. David did not, you know, Saul says, David, let me bring my phone there. David will walk backwards to bring it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm bringing it back, oh. David was aware, oh. He did, as I'm honoring you, I'm protecting myself. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, oh. David behaved wisely. So how should we think about reconciliation? Because maybe for everything I'm saying, all you're hearing is, oh, protect yourself and all of that. So where then would be the place of reconciliation? Would I even find myself becoming defensive in my posture? You know, what's my duty? Okay, so as a Christian, when I'm hurt, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go and reconcile and things like that? Or if I hurt somebody, if I've hurt somebody, maybe I remember some things I did when I was five years old and all, do I need to go and look for them? And, you know, rest, make restitution. And until they forgive me, I will be a candidate for hell. You know, and things like that. So what, what does the Bible actually teach us about reconciliation? First, the Bible would show us that we must love and forgive those who hurt us. We must. We must love and we must forgive those who hurt us. In Luke 11 verse 4, Jesus was teaching how to pray. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And you see what Jesus taught? He said that, um, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. So God calls us to forgive those who hurt us. In Matthew 5, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you would love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, no, I say to you, you love your own enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Look at what Jesus is saying. He's saying, love them and pray for them. He's linking our prayer for them to love. I had somebody years ago who was, you know, I think they stole his phone. He was a roommate. And then he started ranting and cursing the person that stole it. And I'm like, but God said you should pray for your enemies. He said he's praying. That Jesus didn't tell him the prayer point. So, <laughs> so, but Jesus connects your praying for them to loving them. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? He says love them and pray for them. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a choice that we don't treat people on account of what they did to us, on the weight of what they did to us, but we treat them, we choose to focus on who Jesus is to us in dealing with others. That's, that's the base of forgiveness. And forgiveness is saying that I won't say because you hurt me, then I'm treating you on that basis or holding that weight against you. Forgiveness is a choice 
to let go of that. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to forget. It doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain. But we choose to focus more on how we were forgiven by God than on what people have done. So in Romans chapter 12, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So the Bible teaches that we should desire and where possible, we should seek reconciliation. So our posture should be as Christians that we are desiring and we're trying reconciliation to the extent as much as it lies in our hands. So Matthew 5 verse 23, Jesus said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift. Go and try reconciliation. Go and try. He says, go to your, go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Again, in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15, it says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, okay? What are you trying to do? You are trying reconciliation. Again, if, you, if he hears you, then he says, you've gained a brother. But if he will not hear, then he says, try something more. In this context, he's saying, take one or two, right? You might know there's something else I can try. He's saying, have this posture that he's saying, as much as it's in my hands, I will love to try for reconciliation. But again, he says, if he refuses to hear the two or three that you bring, he says, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, so you've tried what you can try, he says, then let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So, but if he's not up for it, then that, that's it. That's what Jesus is saying. But now I should also mention that sometimes in scripture, what we see about um, separation is that it is what I call issue-based separation. By issue-based separation, I mean there's something here that we don't agree on. There's something that happened, okay? And it is issue-based. So what should be our posture of reconciliation in issue-based separation? For example, David is leaving Saul's house. There's evidently an issue here that is not holding them together. And so David getting out of Saul's hand is deliverance, right? Um, John chapter 6, Jesus sees some of his disciples going away because they don't agree with the things he's teaching. He says, it's okay, let them go. There's no, it's issue-based, all right? In Acts 13 verse 1, let me take it from Acts 13. There were certain disciples that were praying in Acts 13 verse 1. And by the time we get to verse 2, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, hmm? separate unto me, Paul, Saul and Barnabas, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Who said it? The Holy Spirit said it. You know, when you have a partner and you say, ah, how do you have this business partner? It's the Holy Spirit that spoke. How do you have this friend? Like, what put you guys together? Holy Spirit told us to be together. That's another level. Some of you have friends. That, why didn't, we should like ourselves. This one is not we like. Paul and Barnabas will wake up every morning. Holy Spirit told us to be together. Eh? That's why we're together. Do you get what I'm saying? But let's track forward to Acts. That's Acts 13. Now, Acts 15, they're on their missionary journey, all of that. But an issue comes up. So in Acts 15 from verse 36... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren. Let's continue this journey. But in verse 37, Barnabas was determined to take with him a particular guy, John, called Mark, who had been with them before. But um, Paul, in verse 38, insisted that they should not take with him with them because he departed from them in Pamphylia. And Paul is like, no, he can't go with us. He's not fit for the ministry. But in verse 39, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. It's issue-based. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Like, the Holy Spirit told you guys to be together, but based on an issue here, because I'm not in control of other people, based on an issue here, there was a separation. So what would be our posture and reconciliation? Here's what we must note. Let me show you what we must note. First, notice that reconciliation is not absolutely in our control. Forgiveness can be our step towards reconciliation, 
But it's not an assurance of reconciliation. Reconciliation is depending on two people. So the prodigal son's father can forgive him and can be waiting, can have his arms open whenever this guy, but that guy is going to have to make that choice because there's something he decided that took him away. Where he is, he's going to make that choice to come back. The prodigal son's father is not going to go and meet him there and tell him, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you guys here this morning? So an issue has happened here. So reconciliation is not absolutely in my control. I can be committed to offering forgiveness, but I cannot assure of reconciliation. The second thing I would say that we must note is that we don't pursue reconciliation for the wrong reasons. You know, I'm trying to have this conversation to pull it back together. Why? I kind of just want closure. Hmm. So, okay, so, so David, David left Saul's house. He got out. But he now says, huh? That day that Saul threw despair at me. What was he really thinking? Let's go and discuss it. I just want closure over this Saul thing. You see, as David got away from Saul, do you know that for 13 years, David was running away from Saul, basically about 13 years. David basically had to be running away, living in caves, hiding, enemy territory and all of that. He would actually see Saul from far. Mm? It's not closure. My daddy. <laughs> That's the way we greet. Do you understand what I'm saying? Saul, I greet you. <laughs> right? But we can't pursue reconciliation for the wrong reasons. All in the name of closure. Do you know how many people are subjecting themselves to abuse and to toxicity? All in the name of closure. Again, we can't pursue reconciliation because we think it is the basis of healing. For healing, for affirmation. Let me help you this morning. Don't let anybody be to you what only God can be to you. Whether it's affirmation, the feeling of a void, whether it's healing and all of that. Listen, friends, forgiveness, not reconciliation, is the basis for healing. Forgiveness is the ba- it's that we can let go, that we can choose to forgive, but not the reconciliation. The reconciliation is not in my hands. Don't, get, don't let somebody's affirmation or somebody's, you know, be the basis that, uh, oh, because of that I must find reconciliation. It's not always in your hands. When we talk about healing, what is healing and how does healing happen? See, friends, our souls are wounded with wounds that only Jesus through his love can heal. Every one of us. We're wounded people. Jesus didn't meet the Samaritan woman who was broken and wounded and all of that. Five men, they've done you bad. Jesus didn't meet her and say, okay, now go back to your, that your first husband. Go and reconcile. Do you know what Jesus did? He became to her what none of those men was to her. He stepped into her life and gave her a peace and an affirmation that she couldn't find in any of those men. Her healing was not in going back to her. Are you hearing me this morning? Her healing was from Jesus. Jesus wasn't running after Pharisees and Sadducees trying to mend fences. Reconciliation is not always in your hands. So friends, don't expose yourself wrongly. Remember that we are vulnerable people. When Jesus is speaking to us, listen to Jesus in in Matthew 10 verse 16. He said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. (laughs) What an assignment. Like Jesus, describe this beautiful assignment. Right, guys? You're going to be like the sheep. We're like, wow, the sheep among the wolves. What? We are vulnerable people. And when we understand that, he then gives us the warning. He says, therefore, be wise as serpents and be harmless as doves. So in the name of reconciliation, don't subject yourself to abuse and to torture. You know, relationships where one person is clearly being victimized and abused and all of that. David ran, I just want to show you this David thing that I'm talking about. He ran away from Saul after that spare attack. He ran away. 
he moved out of the house. Hmm? He stayed away. He honored and he respected Saul. You know, my daddy, <laughs> greetings to you, sir. Blessings from far. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Uh-huh. Okay. So, scriptural reconciliation is not only dependent on you. And in all of this, I think that we need to... I'll, I'll land on reconciliation in a moment. I'm almost done. But I think we need to look inwards and rediscover our own part before we... Our own part of the conversation. Let's try and do that for a minute because Jesus taught us that we should... He said, remove the log in your eye before you talk about the speck in the other person's eye, right? So we... Come on, are you guys here this morning? So we need to, you know, maybe look inwards first. Um... And so I want to flip it for a minute and ask just simply before I close this morning, how sweet are you? How sweet are you? If you are comfortable to ask somebody next to you, please do that. Just ask them how sweet are you. If you're not comfortable, just look straight. But how sweet, how sweet are you? Because, because friends, listen, God wants us. Listen to me well. Please, if you, if you haven't heard anything I've said today, you need to get this. God wants us to be sweet people. Come on, are you still here? God wants us to be sweet people, not toxic people. He wants us to bring a sweetness. He, he says it in scripture with our words. Listen to Colossians 4 verse 6. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. He wants your words to be imparting grace, to be, we should be speaking grace, bringing hope, bringing encouragement. You, I'm asking you this morning, do your words lift up or do they tear down? I'm asking you this morning, are you just, do you just speak reactively? It's just what's happening around and we're just bouncing back the toxicity of the world and just putting out because our words would really look, our lives look like our words. So do we speak grace? As a Christian, we can't talk anyhow. James 1 verse 26 says that if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart, and this one's religious is useless. If one of the first things the Holy Spirit will be doing, if you're a Christian, eh, one of the things the Holy Spirit will do in your heart is your, is your words. Because James says that if he's able to tame your words, then you can be a perfect man. He will, he will come. You would want to say it, but it's like, no, hold that back. Don't say that. You don't speak to people that way. You don't talk to people that way. You don't tear people down. Whether it's your words, whether it's what you are typing, whether it's your status, it's my space, I do what I want. No, 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 you don't do what you want to do. You're a Christian. You should have an atmosphere that your words lift up, not pull down. When people leave your presence, do they feel you are kind to them? Even in correction. Eh? He says you know how to answer each one. Sometimes it's correction. Sometimes it's rebuke. All right? It's not that you are just, no, you're not trying to be nice. You're trying to be kind. But people should feel that sense of somebody is kind to me. That these words are building me. They're not tearing me down. Sweet people. I believe speak right words. Our words should leak grace. Sweet people have a compelling fragrance or atmosphere about their lives. In Matthew 5 verse 13 and 14, Jesus makes two audacious statements to us as believers. He says, you are salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. Do you see what Jesus is saying? That there is a good influence and a good vibe that you guys bring to everything around you. That you bring influence, you bring vibe, you bring light, you bring salt. You're affecting the taste. You're affecting the experience. That's the kind of vibe that we should be bringing. And I'm asking you this morning, do you lift up a room or do you bring it down? 
We're to be people that have a compelling atmosphere that elevates a room. That when you walk into a room, there's just, there's just an elevation you bring. There is a spirit, there's a vibe, there's an atmosphere. And you all know it. You know that person that walks in and brings an atmosphere. That's what we should be as Christians, that sweetness. Jesus was a master of this on, on earth. Jesus would walk into a place and he's lifting the room up. That's what we're called to be as Christians. In Genesis 27 verse 27, he came near and he smelled him. He came near and he kissed him and he smelled him. This is Isaac to his son and the smell of his clothing and he blessed him and he said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Friends, we have a smell as Christians that you come into a room and there's a, ah, man, there's a smell, there's a fragrance. There is a, there's an atmosphere that you carry that you bring a warmth, you bring a presence. It's a real Christian thing. And let me just encourage you today that it's even okay to start with the natural things or with the tangible things, okay? It's okay as a Christian to be a polite person. You know, to have a good smile around your life. Do you understand? When you walk into a room, don't just come like the world is about to end. Like, come with a good presence. Be a warm person, okay? If you're comfortable to hug, hug. If not, give a good handshake, you know? But just have a sense of there's a warmth about your life, a smile, a, a presence. There is a positivity. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of joy that you bring into the room. Right? Start with tangible things. You, it's okay as a Christian to use a deodorant. It's, it's not even just okay. It is community service to use a deodorant. It's community service. It's community service. You're affecting somebody's worship experience. It's community service. And if you can afford it, use a perfume that is decent. Not, you know, the perfume that will give your neighbor kata. You know, not... I don't want to mention any tribe, but if I was going to mention, I'd say Aousa perfume. Don't just, anyway, let's talk about that. This one, no, 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 we're not talking about that. This one. All right. But, but listen, friends, be sensitive of the effect that you have on what's around you. You have an atmosphere. You walk into a live group meeting, you bring an atmosphere. And your live group meeting, they say, ah, say something. I say, it's all okay. You just come. Whether you're there or you're not there, we don't even feel it. Be the person that once you're in that meeting, you're there, you're alive. I'm here. Turn on your video. For your, you, you signed up for a video live group. Put your video on. You now find I say, okay, you now put the video to face the roof. Why, why, do you just, why do you just make things bad? Be there, set it up, be ready for it. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Have an atmosphere. Be sensitive of the effect that you have on what's around you. Bring life to a room. Bring life to a room. Be sweet. Again, Christians, we should remind ourselves, Romans 14 verse 16, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Be sensitive of the effect of who you are and what it does to those around you. I know, don't let what you're doing, it's good, what you're doing is good, but don't let it become evil. I know you're building a prayer habit, but don't disturb your roommate's sleep because you are praying. It's not Christian. Go outside. Go somewhere and pray. All right? Or you get to work. You even came to work late. People have resumed the work. You say, I must start my day with worship. Oh, Lord, you are disturbing people. I know it's good, but it's, it will be spoken of as evil. You say you want to do night video. Okay, that's fine. Go away. Don't. It's not consistent with your Christian nature to be a toxic person. 
to be a repelling person, to bring negativity. It's not, it's not your Christian nature. Your Christian nature, Jesus, our mother, was a sweet person. People were all at his presence. People longed to be around him. Crowds would be touching him. He had a compelling pull on people. That's what we should be. We should be warm. We should be alive. Maybe you hear all of that and you say, man, you don't understand. It's too hard to stay sweet in the world in which we live. Like, you don't know what's happening to me. You're even talking about forgiveness and all of that. You don't know how hard things are hitting me. Let me show you before I close this morning, a guy called Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching and he's preaching hard. He's preaching it from Moses and from the Old Testament and bringing it into God's will for this person. He's preaching hard. But in verse 57, we see these words that they cried out with a loud voice. These are the people listening to him. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And verse 38, you know what they wanted to do? They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid their, their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, <laughs> saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice. No, no, no. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What? Like, <laughs> you know, you guys use languages right there. You're like, man, these people are killing me. No, they're not. They're killing him. And this guy's like, I forgive you guys. Like, Lord, I don't know, Lord God, please don't be angry with them. Oh, like, God, please forgive them. Oh, and then he's like, Okay, all done. Peace out. I'm out. Like, talk about sweetness. The guy's been stoned. That's heavy. It's hitting him. The bitterness. Do you notice in the whole scripture, we don't even see him talking about the stones. He's just talking about God. Take my spirit. I forgive them. How do you do this, Stephen? Even when they're killing you. Maybe that's not you today, obviously. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's not even human. How would we ever do this? Like, how you be stoning me? And it's just about, you know, the beauty of God and <laughs> receive my spirit. Like, God, please don't forgive them. How would you ever do this? So let's look at the two verses before and see how Stephen did that. Because in verse 55 of Acts 7, I think that's the key. It says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, look at what he saw. So he saw Jesus. Wow. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing. He was so excited about the Jesus he was seeing that they came and they were stoning him. He's just like, it's, it's between me and Jesus, not even between me and them. And I think those words, I see Jesus. I believe that the Holy Spirit still longs to give us this kind of perfect picture of Jesus. And see, because of him, I can love. I can forgive. Not because of them. It's not the stones. It's Jesus. It's in seeing Jesus that I can stay sweet. It's in seeing Jesus that, because Jesus is the ultimate sweetness. Jesus is the one whom they reviled, but he didn't revile back. He's the one who they called names, who they killed. Even in killing him, he was loving them. Jesus, the one that was gentle in spirit, he's the ultimate sweetness. And so it's in seeing him that I believe not just Stephen, but every one of us can be receiving the effect of toxic of the world, but can stay sweet in spirit. 
because we're seeing Jesus. We're focused on him, worshiping him again, loving him, in tune with his word and allowing the Holy Spirit through that revelation of who Jesus is to keep us sweet in our spirits. Otherwise, all we're going to do is we're going to be getting those stones and throwing them back. We're going to start reacting. We're going to start scampering. We're going to, we're going to start, it will be about them. And that's why you come to church and you're just thinking it's about my boss. It's about my colleague. It's that family member. It's that lecturer. It's that student. It's that person. It's that person. But, but maybe today we can say it's really about Jesus and how he loved us and how he has forgiven us of our own wrong. And because of him, you know what? I know it's wrong, but I can forgive and I can love. As I learned this morning, maybe you would then ask and say, oh, so what is our hope in all of this? Uh, what is our hope for reconciliation? What is the hope for healing for my family that is separated? What is the hope for reconciliation when I'm hurt? What is the hope? Maybe a parent-child relationship has gone south and you're saying, where's the hope in all of this? In brokenness that we feel in this toxic world, where's the hope? Here, here's, let me show you as I land. If you haven't heard anything I said, I know I've said that before, but let me say it one more time. If you haven't heard anything I've said, you need to hear this now. Part was to be funny in my mind, but it's okay. It doesn't always work the way you think it. But here's, here's what you have. See, in Jesus, in Jesus, here's what we see. The big problem was not man's enmity with man. The big problem is man's enmity with God. It's first man versus God before it became man versus man. We see Cain killing Abel, but that's the way it started from. It was first Adam and Eve running away from God and sinning against God, rebelling against God. Then as an effect of that, we started to see Cain against Abel and humanity separated and all of that. And so what we see with Jesus is that he's showing us that our real problem is that we were enemies with God. Romans 5 verse 10 says that we were enemies of God look at the wordings we were enemies Romans 5 10 enemies of God every one of us every one of us we were enemies of God um, there was bad energy between us and God we were a bad vibe we were miserable we were messed up every one of us but look at the wordings it says for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life when we were enemies you know what Jesus did he stepped into that enmity between us and God and said I will be the reconciliation there and through his death reconciles us with God but here's the beautiful thing about the cross of Jesus and the cross of Jesus is not just a vertical line it's also a horizontal and so it offers reconciliation between man and God but I also believe that it offers reconciliation across between man and man. And so in bringing us to God, what Jesus does is that he then tears down the walls between men and men because our big problem was that we were made enemies with God by our sin. But now he answers that question so that now the enmity between man and man, he can tear down that wall. Listen to Ephesians 2 verse 14. For Christ himself is our way of peace. He has made peace between us. Jews and this was their problem in that day Jews, Gentiles, you can feel it in what it is for you but he has made peace between the warring, between the opposed by making us all one family, breaking down the wall of contempt that used to separate us, by his death he ended the angry resentment between us caused by the Jewish law that favored the Jews and excluded the Gentiles for he died to annul that whole system of Jewish laws. Listen, then he took the two groups that had been opposed to each other and made them parts of himself. Thus he fused us together to become one new person and at last there was peace. 
And so, you know, Bible historians tell us that Stephen was probably about 28 years old. They estimate between 28 and 32 when he was stoned. 28 years. You stoned me to death. That's, that's bad. Cut him short. And they stoned him. But we need another guy in that story who was, you know, giving approval to that stoning and who they were, was keeping the garments and all of that. His name was Saul. We later become Paul. And Paul lived on to be about 60-something years. And so one day, you get to heaven and you would see Stephen and Saul playing cards together. Talking about the stoning without any animosity between them. How could that ever happen? Oh, so you now killed me. You now went to give your life to Christ. <laughs> How can Stephen and Saul ever be reconciled? It's not first a line across them. It's that Stephen had something with Jesus. And so he prayed. That's why he said pray for your enemies. What are you praying for them? That they would encounter Jesus. Because the only hope we really have for reconciliation is when we meet in Jesus. It's not anything, whether it's in this world or it's in the world to come. Listen, the only hope we really have for reconciliation is that in Jesus we can have a meeting place. So let me read verse 16 of Ephesians 2, 2 for you now. Team, please come. As part of the same body, our anger against each other has disappeared. For both of us have been reconciled to God. It's not first a reconciliation between ourselves. It is first that we are reconciled with God. And in that reconciliation with God through Jesus, then we have a hope of reconciliation with one another. And so the field ended at last at the cross. Jesus is our ultimate hope for reconciliation with men. Pray for those who hurt you, friends, to encounter Jesus. That's the best you can do for them. That's how you can love them. Pray for them to encounter Jesus. Whether it's a child that is strained, whether it's a parent that is hard-hearted, whether it's a boss, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a pray for them to encounter Jesus. Because in Jesus, there's a hope of reconciliation. And even if it doesn't come together in this world, then I believe that in the world to come. See, in Jesus, the walls go down and there is true healing. Between the offender and the offended, between the hurt and the one that was hurt, between, between the aggrieved and the... In Jesus, the walls go down and there is true reconciliation. And so, my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would help every one of us. I don't know where you are in this conversation, but would help every one of us to see Jesus. To see Jesus. To sense his presence more than the stones that are hitting you. That's how you can stay sweet. That's how you can be loving. That's how you can forgive. That's how you can truly be a child of your heavenly father. So I'm going to ask Victor to sing a song, and it's an old song, but as we sing it, just reflect on it this morning and let's be praying for the Holy Spirit to do it in our hearts. So turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace sing it one more time turn your eyes turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things 
don't know what this is for you but I want you to do that I want you to turn your eyes on Jesus this morning I want you to ask him let me see you the stones are hitting me but let me see you offense is hitting me but let me see you people are doing what people do to me but let me see you Open my eyes to see you, Jesus. Man, friends, that, just that revelation will change your life. It will change your experience. It will change your soul. Jesus, help me to see you, not just to see the news, to see what's happening around, to see toxic in the world, and we're ranting and complaining. Our privilege as Christians is we can live our lives seeing Jesus. Jesus, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your presence will be more real to me than the things that surround. More real to me than the hurt and the pain. More real to me than what they said, than what they did. More real to me than every bit of toxic in the world. Today, Jesus, open my eyes to see you. Turn, I turn my, my heart to you. I give you my attention. I give you my focus. I, I know I've been ranting, but this morning, I give you my attention. I give you my focus. On that last day, we're not going to give excuses. We're going to give account of moments like this when His presence was waiting on you and it's all about what you choose. Do you choose to, to keep going over the story of what they did and what they did? Or do you choose this morning to look at what Jesus did? What Jesus did. He forgave me. He loved me. When I was an enemy with God. So why can't you love your enemies? Why can't you pray? for your enemies, for those who spitefully use you. While you sit in this moment and hold on to hurt and hold on to unforgiveness, whether it's been long term, whether it's recent, whether it's major, whether it's minor, I want today to make a choice to live free of the toxicity of the world, to live free in my soul. I want today for there to be a letting go. And, and I know Saul is doing you dirty, but David, there is a calling on your life. You can't allow that bitterness. You can't allow that over your life, David. There's a promise of God. There's more that God is calling you to, David. As we sing it one more time, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to make this real. I will. I will turn my eyes upon Jesus. I look full in His wonderful face. And I believe the things and of this the earth of earth earth will, will go strangely deep in the light. everybody to pray for themselves this morning I want you to pray for a sweetness in your spirit a sweetness about your life I don't know what it is to you but I want you to pray for it today 
Don't let toxicity cling to you. Pray today and say, God, I pray for a sweet soul, for a sweetness about my atmosphere, about my vibe, for a sweetness that I would bring grace, I would bring healing with my words, that my words would lift up and not pull down, that I would build my home, build my children, build my family with my words. I would, I would be strengthened, I will strengthen, Lord, that my life will bring a sweetness, a sweetness. Would you pray for yourself this morning? And say in the name of Jesus, I'm not carrying a bad vibe around my life and around the world. I'm not living reactive, but I pray in the name of Jesus for a sweetness about my life. Just like it was with Jesus, like it was with Stephen. I know the stones are hitting, but pray today. I will live sweet. I will live sweet in the name of Jesus. I will not live offended in the name of Jesus. I will live sweet. Pray this morning, somebody. It's awesome when you pray. Come on, somebody needs to pray this morning. It's not just going to happen. You're going to pray. You're going to pray this morning. I will live sweet because of who Jesus is. I prayed about my life today. The smell of my son is a smell of the field that God has blessed. I carry a fragrance of the blessing of God. I carry an atmosphere of the blessing of God. In the name of Jesus, when I walk in a room, I walk in with a presence. When I walk in, I, I come in with a presence. I carry an atmosphere in my home, in my family, on my job, in my school. I carry an atmosphere of the presence of God. I carry a sweetness in the name of Jesus, a sweetness that is greater than the toxicity that surrounds. I carry a sweetness. Oh Lord, make my life sweet, sweeter than ever before. Make my atmosphere sweet. Let what I bring be a compelling beauty, a sweetness, Lord. Yes. In the name of Jesus, where there is discouragement, where people that bring hope and encouragement, where there's negativity, where people that bring joy and rejoicing, where there's darkness, where people that bring light. In the name of Jesus, where there's a downcast, where there's where heads are down, where people that lift it up, we lift up the room, we lift up people, we bring hope, we bring strength by the anointing of God upon our lives. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We give you the glory, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. If you're not standing, please stand with us because I want to make an invitation. I want to make an invitation for somebody who is in church and it's not in the right place with God. You know why I'm asking everybody to stand? It's because we want to stand with you. This is a family, not a crowd. We love you and we're just excited that you'll be here. If you would say to me this morning that, uh, you know what, I'm, I'm not right with God. Know it in my heart. It's no use playing God games. I know it. I'm not in the right standing with God. There's only one way you can be made right with God. It's through what Jesus has done for us. That we were guilty people. We were enemies with God. But once and for all, Jesus went up on that cross and he said, you know why I'm doing this? I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not guilty. But I'm doing it in your place as the guilty ones. And I'm dying the death that you deserve to die so that you can have a life that you never deserve to have. And so today if you would say, man, I believe that and I trust that and I put my trust in that as my means to be made right with God. It's not the way you can get right with God. You're not going to work harder and get right with God because of ourselves we have all failed and we're all guilty. 
but we can put our trust in what Jesus did. And so whatever coinages you use, whether you say you're born again, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you've received the life of Christ, whatever, whatever you use this morning, what I'm asking is can you confidently and boldly say that you're in the right standing with an almighty God who one day is going to judge you. And today he offers himself as your savior because one day he's going to be your judge. If you say you're speaking to me, I'm not right with God. I'm asking everybody to stand because we want to identify with you. But let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to count to three. Right where you are, I want you on the count of three to put your hand on your chest. It's a deliberate making to God that you are choosing him today. All right? Ready? One, two, three. Where you are, put your hand on your chest. God sees you and he knows you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Across the room, God bless you. I believe there are also people online. If you want to join in, please do that before we pray. It's a miracle that's happening in your life now. I've met people who said to me, I wish I gave my life to Christ earlier. But I've never met anybody who said, I wish I gave it to him later. It's a miracle that is happening right now in your heart. Everybody who has their hand on their, on their chest, we're going to say prayer together. But this is a family of the crowd. We want to stand with you. So we're all going to say these words together. But if you're there, your hand is on your chest, whether you're in this building or you're online anywhere, I want you to say these words with boldness, knowing that God hears your voice. And the Bible says we believe with our hearts and with our mouth we confess unto righteousness. So let's all say together, Heavenly Father. I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he's the savior of the world. Say, today I put my faith in him. I trust in him as my savior. Say, please forgive me of the past. Please forgive me of all my wrong and give me a new life. I receive it today. I boldly declare that I'm a child of God. I'm in a right standing with God through Jesus. My life will never be the same. Say one day I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us here at Sycamore Church. If you pray that prayer at the end, we are so excited about your decision for Jesus and we would love to help you get established in your relationship with him. So please let us know about your decision at www.sycamore.church forward slash Jesus. There you'll also find all kinds of resources to help you build your relationship with Jesus. If you enjoyed this message, we would love for you to subscribe wherever you are listening or visit www.sycamore.church forward slash resources. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.